Today's Power Talk episode was a deep dive into lithium ion technology. Greg and I discussed the capabilities, recent cost volatility, and supply challenges facing the development and deployment of lithium ion batteries. I know I certainly learned a lot, and I'm sure you will too. Greg Lamberg is an expert in the energy sector with over 30 years of experience in the utility power industry. My name is Nate Woods, and I am not an expert in the energy sector, uh, but I do have over 15 years of cat dealer marketing experience. Power Talk is a series of conversations about the electrical grid. Uh, for me personally, it's a world-class education on this complex topic. Uh, we often interview subject matter experts, and some episodes, just like this one, are a direct response to uh, questions from our listeners, just like you. All right. Hey, good morning, Greg. Um, saw you running around like a wild man uh, yesterday and today. What's what's going on? There is a lot going on, Nate. Um, as you know, as we've discussed, as the energy grid changes and more and more of our power is coming from intermittent resources and renewable resources, the uh, reliability resiliency uh, issues uh, come to bear and are of major concern to many of our large energy users. Uh, behind the meter. So uh, we're, we're quoting a lot of equipment. We're getting into summer in California and the Pacific Northwest and specifically in California, uh, we've got some hydro challenges. We haven't gotten a lot of rain, so we're not, uh, yeah. we're not gonna have a lot of hydro in California. And uh, a lot of the uh, lithium ion battery projects uh, that were supposed to be coming online this summer, some of those have been delayed due to uh, supply chain considerations and, uh, and some uh, volatility within that market. And, uh, you know, so everybody's just trying to shore things up for the summer and uh, very, very busy. If it isn't, uh, if it isn't strapped to the ground or, uh, or sitting in concrete, uh, it's in play right now. So a lot of, uh, a lot of great cat equipment and gear moving around as we uh, ready ourselves for summer. I've seen folks just scrambling, not just in, uh, on the power side, uh, but really throughout Peterson seems like everyone needs everything done right now. And it's, it's a pretty exciting time. Uh, to be part of the team. I like it. It is a busy time, and uh, I think as we'll talk about in, in a little bit, is uh, there's actually a nexus uh, between the uh, the power uh, um, interests within, within Peterson and within Caterpillar and the earth-moving interests as we uh, start talking more and more about batteries and uh, their growth and prominence in, in both energy and transportation. Um, there'll be uh, those two uh, sectors will certainly be uh, reliant upon each other. Well, you, you said the magic word of the day, batteries. So, uh, just to kind of level set. Last time we met, uh, we talked all about energy storage broadly. We talked about uh, molten salt. We talked about hydro pumping. We talked about caves full of uh, compressed air and and wonderful things that I I did not know existed. And today is as requested. A full episode just deep diving into lithium ion. I'm sure everyone listening knows about lithium ion. It's, it's something like 90% of all uh, electric backup right now, battery backup is lithium ion. Uh, I don't know, Greg, why don't you tell me how big of a, of a topic is lithium ion? Let's, yeah, that's a good, great. Thanks for the tea up, Nate. Um, well, I think everybody listening today uh, owns some lithium ion. Probably listening it's, on a device with a lithium ion battery. Yeah, your 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 laptop is has a lithium ion battery. Your uh, your cell phone has a lithium ion battery. Many of our electronics have lithium ion batteries. It's relatively new technology, uh, amazingly. So, uh, lithium ion batteries were first used in the early 1990s 
for small-scale consumer electronics, uh, primarily cell phones, by Sony Corporation. I heard Sony tried to get all the battery manufacturers they could talk to to develop the, the lithium-ion battery they designed, and everybody said no, so they had to end up making their own. I, I'm not aware of that, but I, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, I think as we're going to find out through the discussion today, and uh, as, as we've talked to many people in this industry, there's a lot of different chemistries, there's a lot of research and development being done um, in, in this space, and a lot of different options uh, that fall under what we would call lithium-ion battery. But you know, the fact of the matter is that 90% of the global battery storage market is lithium-ion right now. And then, you know, that's the energy sector. And then when we look at the transportation sector, EVs right now, electric vehicles, are absolutely dependent on uh, lithium-ion batteries. So uh, things are ramping up fast. And as that's happening, um, we're seeing a lot of uh, volatility within the sector. But, uh, you know, why lithium-ion? Why is the focus on lithium-ion batteries? And the fact of the matter is with the technologies available to us today, when you look at energy density, and we talked Last time we spoke, we spoke about energy density. A mm -hmm. uh, quick review, energy density is how much energy do I get per, per unit of area? So how many kilowatts per square foot, right. so to speak, or per Which, which is critical in a vehicle. You, you only have so many square feet in your car. It is critical in a vehicle unless you're married to land yachts like you are, Nate. <laughs> For those who don't know much about Nate, Nate just likes those big old land yachts. Give him a uh, Buick Deuce and a quarter and, uh, and he's happy. Well, I'll tell you that this morning, uh, I'm blessed to have a beautiful maple tree in my front yard, and it's just been pooping little maple tree bits all over my Buick. So this morning, I hosed it down and got muddy with the hose and wound up coming in much, much later than I intended. But Well, I'm sure all of our listeners appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> we're trying to keep this human, and we're trying to have some fun here, so please bear with us. But uh, lithium-ion does, getting back to the topic here, lithium-ion does offer... Uh, relatively the best energy density in this sector and in comparison it's relatively lightweight but there you know there it's not without challenges and there's been a lot of uh, cost volatility uh, within the materials that make up lithium-ion batteries we'll talk about um, some different chemistries I think a little bit later but uh, you know one of the most prominent batteries of recent times has been uh, what we call NMC lithium batteries, which is nickel, magnesium, cobalt. And um, let's talk about these, um, these materials and what's happening. Um, lithium ion battery packs as a whole, if we go back 10 years ago, to about well, even 12 years ago, 2010, they were about $1,200 a kilowatt hour. And uh, uh, recently, by 2021, they had plummeted to $132 a kilowatt hour. So a significant traveling down the cost curve for lithium ion battery packs. So, so that's uh, like a 90% drop in, uh, was that 10 years, 11 years? Correct. And, it, and, you know, and, and that's what we saw in the solar PV sector with the wider adoption of the technology and ramping up uh, production. Uh, you know, costs were, were reduced considerably. But unfortunately, due to the uh, global supply challenges we're having right now, and uh, in inflation, that's kind of gone the other way. And it's gone the other way in a big way and in a very challenging and bad way. And uh, just to give you an idea, um, you know, battery component prices are, are, are just soaring right now. If we look at battery grade cobalt, um, it's up about 120% since, uh, since January of 2020. Nickel is up 106% just in the last year. And lithium carbonate rose Get ready for this. Strap yourself in, Nate. 569% since 
Q4 of 2021. So these are some uh, significant challenges, and I think it's worthwhile. So, to- hey, hey, let me wrap my mind around that last one you, you dropped. So Q4 of 2021 is not even a year ago, and you're saying the price is now 5x what it used to be, almost an order of magnitude for for, for lithium carbonate as a uh, as a as a commodity. Wow. Yeah. And why is that? Because you know you have competition for for the material in both the energy sector. Uh, again, we talked about cell phones, laptops, uh, your Tesla battery wall in your house, um, the batteries that are going into these utility-grade products, and then every EV um, relies on lithium-ion to, uh, to power itself. And, and it's global. So if you look at just uh, the European nations, um, Israel, Singapore, and a couple of others, have all sworn to do away with internal combustion vehicles by 2030. So that's, so to make up for all those cars, that's like 9 million, 10 million vehicles per year just in Europe and uh, a few of those Asian countries. Like the, the demand is going to get ridiculous when these mandates kick in. It's, it's going to be a real challenge. In fact, uh, I think it, it might have been a podcast I was listening to or something on YouTube or, or Reddit. I just, the number just stuck in my mind. And just to paint a picture, if we go back and look at the world financial crisis, the meltdown, what they called, hmm. of uh, 2007, uh, approximately $5 trillion in wealth evaporated worldwide. And the reason that stuck out um, is because when we look at what they're talking about with regards to uh, lithium ion, they're saying that in order to meet the mandates already in place, uh, we need almost an immediate investment of five trillion dollars into the mining sector. Wow! And this is the nexus I mentioned earlier between you know Caterpillar Earth Moving and uh, Caterpillar uh, Energy Storage and, and, and our and our energy business. Um, they're going to be absolutely uh, dependent upon each other. And you know it's interesting when you really think about it. If you look at anything in front of you, if you're if you're listening right now, maybe you have a cup of coffee in your hand or a bagel or something like that. You know, and obviously those things were grown. But you know anything that cannot be agriculturally produced on this planet was mined. It has to be taken from the earth. So in order for us to produce enough lithium ion to really electrify the transportation sector and the uh, and the energy sector and, and to decarbonize the energy sector, um, you know some of the experts out there have put this number that we need an immediate investment of five trillion dollars into the mining sector. And you know that's a that's a tough number to wrap your head around. But when you look at it, every Tesla on the road, mm-hmm. that big battery pack under it weighs over a thousand pounds, requires two hundred and fifty tons, or five hundred thousand pounds, of material to be moved to mine enough raw materials to make that battery. It's it's, it's just an amazing statistic. So when we hear of auto manufacturers releasing 20 new EVs next year or 30 new EVs next year, mm-hmm. that is a tremendous strain on the world's lithium supplies. And uh, it's going to be a real challenge and we're going to need some significant investment in the mining sector to be able to, to realize those goals. A little bit of a bright spot on that one, at least from uh, a United States standpoint, is there are pretty significant uh, lithium deposits in the United States. I was reading about one called Thacker Pass. Um, unfortunately, there's there's people living at, uh, at Thacker Pass that would uh, need to be relocated um, to make that happen. But that, 
that spot in Nevada could really make the United States a power player in, uh, in the lithium space. Yeah, a lot of this is new. There's also a, a project here in California called the Lithium Valley, hmm. where uh, there actually, I mean, I'm sorry, folks, I'm, I'm actually in uh, in Oregon today, but there in California, we live in California, but the Lithium Valley project, uh, where in the Salton Sea, they're looking at uh, harvesting uh, lithium ion from the uh, from the geothermal brine uh, in the Salton Sea. So that's a possibility there. But I knew this would come up, so I did a little bit of research on this, Nate. And as we speak right now, and I think this will change. But uh, let, let's overview this by, uh, you know, somebody who's been in the news a lot lately is, uh, is Elon Musk. Yep. And, uh, you know, we're not going to weigh in on the, on the Twitter debate because I'm not even sure how to use Twitter. I'm not sure where I'd weigh in. <laughs> but um, with regards to uh, Elon, he said recently that, uh, forget about Bitcoin. You know, he says, if you want to mine, you want to produce money, mine lithium ion because we're going to need a lot of it. So go out there and mine lithium. So I did a little research. And right now, as we speak... If you look at the world's top lithium producers, Australia is the top producer, producing 52.9% of global production, followed by Chile at 21.5%, with China at 9.7%, Argentina at 8.3%, and Zimbabwe at 2.1%. And I believe that uh, Australian production is done through a Chinese company, for what that's worth. Uh, would, wouldn't be surprised. Uh, the Chinese have uh, have been integrating themselves into raw materials in Australia for the better part of 50 years now. Mm. Um, with the world's top lithium reserves, where do we think this stuff exists? Uh, it's believed right now, and that, you know this is this is the information I found debatable, but this is you know this is what's out there. Uh, Chile has about 55.5 percent of the world's total, with Australia at 18.1 percent, Argentina at 11 percent. China at 6.5% and the United States at about 4.1%. Hmm. So uh, this is truly going to have to be a global effort um, to, uh, to, to realize the, uh, the vision of, uh, of uh, many, many uh, governments right now with regards to uh, uh, movement away from internal combustion engines and decarbonization of the energy sector. Uh, let, let, let's finish this conversation with regards to some of the other materials, and then uh, we can get back to lithium a little bit. Uh, nickel is an interesting uh, is an interesting aspect of this because uh, nickel is up, as we said, about 106 percent in the last year. Give you some examples. Uh, on Friday, uh, March 4th, uh, 2022, uh, nickel was at $29,000 a ton on the London Metal Exchange. And then it shot up and trading was halted. Four days later on Tuesday, March 8th, it shot up to $100,000 a ton on the London Metal Exchange. It's been, uh, it's, it's settled out right now. Uh, last week it was trading at about 33,800 a ton, but it's still 242% higher than 2019 uh, pricing. And, it's a little uh, alarming when you see uh, commodities behaving like meme stocks. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, the, the interesting thing with nickel is, uh, you know, nickel, uh, only 5% uh, goes to the battery sector. 70% goes to stainless steel. Hmm. You know, so there is a big competitor out there in stainless steel. But batteries, as battery growth uh, uh, moves forward, the projected demand uh, of the nickel market by the battery sector is going to be about 35% of the nickel market by 2030. And it's not all nickel is created the same. Uh, the batteries are looking for a much purer nickel called nickel sulfate as opposed to the other uh, more, more uh, 
widely available nickel, which is called nickel pig iron, which is used for stainless steel. So it's a very highly uh, pure, specialized nickel that the battery market is looking for. And the nickel lithium batteries, are, is that the, the most popular kind, or, or how, how rare is a nickel uh, magnesium cobalt battery? Uh, let, let's let's talk a little bit more about that. I'm gonna I'm gonna put that aside for a second. All right. I, I do want to address it. I want to talk about cobalt just a little bit first because the uh, the two primary chemistries right now uh, are are what's called NMC nickel magnesium cobalt and then uh, LFP which is lithium iron phosphate. So let's let's get through our, our chemistry lesson here first. And then we'll, <laughs> we'll get back to your question. I'm, I'm sipping coffee. But just to, just to finish the uh, the thought with regards to cobalt, uh, cobalt very very challenging. Prices have gone up uh, about 120% in the last year, and one of the big issues with cobalt is, uh, is, is, is supply of cobalt, and uh, a lot of, lot of concern here, especially as, uh, as um, companies focus on, uh, on ESG goals. Over 70% of the, of the cobalt in this world comes from the Congo. Right. And the mining, uh, as, in addition to uh, not being very environmentally responsible, um, the labor uh, used in that mining is, is very, very questionable with uh, allegations of a lot of child labor in, uh, in, in utilizing that. And it that has a very, very quaint title. It's called artisanal mining. When you, uh, when you send a child into a tunnel with a pickaxe, artisanal mining. Hmm. Yeah, and that's a uh, sad fact that it's still going on in the world. So, you know, if we're going to need cobalt and we look... And, you know, cobalt's what allows these batteries to be very, very light, light and stuff like that. It's used in the anodes and cathodes. But uh, if we look at where is the next biggest supply globally uh, with regards to cobalt, it gets even worse because the next biggest supplier besides for the Congo is Russia. Mm. And uh, I don't know if you've been reading the news lately, but I don't think Russia is uh, a country that we're looking to do any trading with in, in, in the near future. I understand there's some tension there. there. There is a little bit of tension there. Um, the other uh, ma major chemistry on, on uh, lithium-ion batteries right now is lithium-ion phosphate. Um, and let's just talk about, you know, kind of, and what, what's happening, and, and to go back to your question, not to, not to keep it on the sidelines for too long, is um, ma many manufacturers are transitioning from NMC to LFP. Okay. Uh, okay. And, in fact, uh, Tesla right now uh, used to be exclusively NMC. Uh, a couple of years ago, a year or two ago, mm -hmm. they're building about 50% of their vehicles right now with uh, with LFP. Why, why are they transitioning? What's the, the benefit there? Uh, well, it's, it's it's really supply. It's, mm. it's supply and cost, supply chain, throughput, what you know, materials that they need. So the uh, materials for a lithium-ion phosphate battery are not as challenged as the NMC, as we, we just outlined. But let, let's do that. Let's talk about the pros and cons of each and give our listeners a little bit of the uh, characteristics of each. Yeah, I'd love to hear that. There. But interestingly enough, you know, obviously with the technologies available right now, NMC is still a... Uh, ESC goals aside, costs aside, availability aside, just pure head-to-head -head technologies, NMC is still a little bit better technology um, as evidenced by Tesla is still manufacturing their high-end vehicles with, with NMC mm. as opposed to LFP, but they are moving more and more towards, towards LFP. But when we look at NMC, nickel, magnesium, cobalt, it's such a good choice for the EVs because of the higher power density. Huh, okay. So what does that mean? Less volume, less weight in the car and less uh, less area of the car that you have to utilize for, for, for batteries. So 
you know, again, the Tesla design right under the bottom of the floor of that car is the battery. Um, NMC is a little faster charging than LFP, uh, but it does run hotter than LFP. Hmm. Okay, so it's not it's not all better. Um, NFP nickel magnesium cobalt uh, has had some thermal runaway issues. There have been some fires with uh, NMC batteries that uh, are not as big of a concern with LFP. We'll talk about that a little more. But because of the uh, the high running temperature of LFP, um, you often have to use ceramic tiles to separate the cells, and that's not necessary with uh, with, with uh, LFP. The flashpoint. Of, uh, of nickel, magnesium, cobalt, about 419 degrees F compared with a flash point of, of LFP of 518. Okay, so, so another, the, another 100 degrees before you hit flash point, which makes it much more stable. And that's on top of the nickel already running hotter. Correct. We talked about a little more expensive, you know, uh, but you know, Tesla is moving production to LFP away from NMC, as is Rivian. Rivian was going to be primarily uh, NMC. They're moving more towards LFP right now. And Rivian is uh, another, uh, they play in the automotive space or they play in the, the backup space? Rivian plays in the automotive space. Uh, Rivian, uh, a, uh, a uh, initial public offering this year, a lot of excitement about Rivian producing uh, pickup trucks and SUVs hmm. and uh, based in Irvine, California. And then, um, you know, going forward with regards to the, um, to the um, transportation sector, uh, we think we'll see NMC in just very high-end vehicles. And, uh, you know, we think we'll see more and more LFP on the, uh, on the uh, utility side. The LFP, lithium iron phosphate, a uh, little less power density, so it's a little bit heavier. Okay. Okay. Uh, but it's less expensive because we're not talking about... Uh, Nickel, we're not talking about cobalt, we're not talking about those challenging materials. Um, actually, there's some belief right now that there, it may actually have a longer life than uh, NMC with regards to amount of cycles you can put through it. Well, that's important. But we will, uh, we'll, we'll see what happens there. But, uh, you know, uh, Tesla, again, is uh, moving towards uh, lithium iron phosphate, and they just placed an order for about 45 gigawatt hours. Um, of lithium ion phosphate uh, from uh, from CATL in China, and they're also uh, purchasing from LG Chem Panasonic. So uh, a lot of uh, a lot of movement in that space. Great. How do you know all this stuff? I'm blown away. I'm blown away. You've clearly been in the in the game for uh, long enough to get some experience. Um, I, I do a lot of research in the evenings and study. I, I I do watch a lot of stuff on YouTube. I do a lot of reading and stuff. Um, I'll. Uh, I'll bear my soul a little bit. I don't own a television. <laughs> I don't like TV, so I, uh, I get into this stuff. I, I like to read a little bit about it, and uh, so I'll spend a uh, half hour, you know, 45 minutes, an hour every evening reading about something energy-related, and uh, a lot of it's been battery-related lately because there's, there's so, much, uh, so much going on within the battery sector. And then, uh, you know, sometimes when I have to put a lot of figures, I'll, I'll have a few notes in front of me. I've got a couple of stickies in front of me right now with, with some of this data on it because not all of it is, uh, is up in my head. But uh, uh, very, you know, it's a very, very interesting time. And uh, this has always been an interest to me with 30 plus years in the energy sector. And uh, again, I, I believe uh, that a, uh, a common truth is that the affluence of a society is directly proportional to the amount of energy it consumes. Mm -hmm. So uh, energy has always been a, uh, a topic near and dear to my heart. Yeah, North Korea is, uh, I think, the greenest country on Earth. 
Okay. Sorry, <laughs> didn't mean to deter yeah, you there. Excited. Well, it's, it's it's nice to hear that Kim Jong Un is doing something right. Well, <laughs> if you hear any interviews of uh, people who've escaped, uh, yeah, very very little energy consumption there, and I'll I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. But as we're learning, uh, you know, so sourcing energy and consuming energy um, has geopolitical ramifications. So uh, we ought to be um, utilizing that as, as efficiently as possible and, um, and utilizing every source of energy available to us. You know, again, I, th I think this is a common theme we've had throughout this discussion that we've embarked upon here, Nate, is the, the necessity for an all-of-the-above approach. Okay. So, so within lithium, all of the above. So we've talked about the uh, nickel, magnesium, cobalt. Uh, sort of the premium or high-end battery than the lithium ion phosphate as the uh, more accessible chemistry. Uh, what what else is there within lithium? What other configurations do you know about? Those are the two primary ones out there. I know there's research being done. I think it's too early to dive into those from a from a commercial standpoint. What's commercially viable right now? Okay. Um, th those those are the two horses. So I'll say, like, so in my mind, the strengths of lithium-ion batteries, uh, number one, they actually exist, and you can actually uh, install one. You can, you can call us, and we can provide one to you. Uh, some of these other technologies, maybe not so much, and obviously a, a hydro uh, pump will take years and years. So advantage, number one, lithium is, it exists. Uh, number two, uh, it uh, decharges very quickly, so if you have a big spike, and forgive me if I'm not saying this right, um, discharge. Discharge. Thank you. Uh, so if you if you need a bunch of power right away, uh, maybe you're starting up a, a pump motor or something like that. Um, lithium ion can handle it. What other advantages are there uh, to lithium ion batteries within the electric power backup space? Well, it, it is very modular. Okay. You know, it is modular and, and it is quick response. So, you know, lithium ion, uh, because it's modular, because of its quick response, um, it does have a place, but it's durationally limited. Uh, typically, we talk about four hours. But uh, because it can respond so quickly, um, it can provide ancillary services to a lot of different markets. Um, there's a lot of energy arbitrage going on with lithium ion right now. Mm-hmm where developers are uh, charging up when market pricing is low and then discharging when market pricing is high. So there's money to be made in energy arbitrage. But um, also there are tremendous uh, values in the, uh, in the ancillary service markets like demand response, uh, regulation up, regulation down. I mean, it can, it can respond very, very quickly to well, give you... What's regulation up, regulation down? Uh, when, when the market needs to move, ramp up or ramp down very, very quickly because of changing considerations. So, for example, if uh, if all of a sudden the wind disappears, mm -hmm. you know it needs it, you need to move that move other sources of energy onto the grid very very quickly. Okay. So the immediate response of lithium ion makes it very very uh, very very uh, exciting, especially for like uh, what what they call spinning reserve. Uh, before we had batteries, what we had is we had a lot of uh, peaking gas turbines on the uh, on the on, on the grid. Mm -hmm. And they would run at what's called full speed, no load. Okay. So they would sit there spinning with no load on them yet. Okay. So actually the carbon production per kilowatt was infinite because they were producing some carbon. Because there's no kilowatts. Burning gas. But 
you needed them running if the grid needed them so that they could respond immediately because these units took 10 minutes to start. And that response is you're just going to put resistance then on that turbine. Um, so it, like, I guess it would slow down some, but then you're getting uh, you're getting all the energy out of it. Correct, correct. You're going you're gonna to ramp it up. You're going to get resistance on, on the gen generator. Generator is going to spin and provide electricity back to the grid. Okay. And so the lithium ion is now taking the taking a lot of that uh, a lot of that market because it its response is immediate. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think we, we brought up the com the uh, concept in a, in a previous discussion about blipless mm -hmm. lithium ions response is almost blipless. We're talking about nanoseconds, so it can respond very very quickly. So it's providing a lot of uh, a, a lot of that ramp. I bet data centers love it. And then it also provides a lot of voltage support and VAR support. Uh, you know, so for, for the grid grid, grid firming uh, um, capabilities. So you know, the uh, there, there there is a place for it, and uh, I think what's what's interesting is I think you know, California is uh, you know is is in the forefront of a, of a lot of these things. Uh, California has a lot of people, and uh, very very high taxes, and as a result, a lot of money yeah. to uh, to invest in these things. And California has made some tremendous investments, but I think California saw. The value in energy storage early on, and uh, actually mandated an energy storage market. California was the first to mandate a market. In fact, in uh, 2013, the California Public Utilities Commission uh, mandated the first energy storage market in the country, mandating that California's three investor-owned utilities, Pacific Gas and Electric Company, Southern California Edison, and San Diego Gas and Electric, uh, they mandated procurements such that there would be a total of 1,325 megawatts in place by the end of 2020, you know, and at the time, energy storage was running, we talked about this earlier, energy storage was running about $1,000 a kilowatt hour, hmm. and what happened was those deployments were made, and it, it drove pricing down because, you know, there's more market, more production economies of scale, yeah. and we saw more and more of those uh, energy procurements, and what's happened now is the mandate, it, it, the mandates are growing. Uh, in the past 18 months, California has almost doubled its capacity in energy storage. But, you know, at the same time, with California having a little over 2,000, 2,500 megawatts online right now, uh, the California Independent System Operator, we've talked about them before, they actually run about 80% of the grid. Uh, they are estimating that California is going to need about another 55 gigawatts Dang. of energy storage to fully decarbonize the grid. And at the 2021 rates, that's an investment of over $110 billion. Okay, so, so that application there, needing 55 gigawatts of power uh, to back up the utility, is that a good fit for lithium-ion? Well, that's that's a great question because we just talked about the shortages of lithium ion. I mean, we're at we're at a little over two thousand megawatts of lithium ion in California right now, and you know, and with all the EV stuff, I, I, I personally, I don't see how the electric utility sector and the transportation sector both get to where they want to go fighting over lithium. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to take something else. You know, I'm not sure what that something else is yet. We talked yesterday about you know iron uh, iron batteries and stuff like that. Very very exciting, you know, and uh, with regards to uh, simplifying the chemistry, mm -hmm. going to take a lot more real estate. So I don't think we're going to see you know iron and water or iron and water salt in vehicles, 
But, you know, maybe lithium ion goes towards vehicles mm -hmm. and maybe iron, water, or other chemistries go towards the, the electric sector. I think that'd make a lot more sense. Uh, because you even look at like the life cycle of a lithium ion battery. Maybe you can talk to me a little bit more about this. Is that let's say you, you do this very large investment in a lithium ion backup. Um, how long until you have to replace that stuff just, just because the degradation? Yeah, and you know, I, and, I, I, go ahead. And, and what do you do? What do you do with the the spent lithium ion battery? So you're talking about, okay, so I have a gigawatt of lithium ion batteries. Um, so like, how long are they good? What do you do once they're no longer good? And what's the what's the environmental uh, story there? Well, right now it's not very good. I mean, as as hard as industry is working on the front end to uh, conduct R&D to look for uh, you know more widely available uh, chemistries uh, more, and, and cheaper chemistries um, the industry is also just starting to address the back end with regards to recycling and stuff like that mm -hmm. um, there is what's called second use batteries out there so there are people and entrepreneurs who are taking batteries from like Nissan Leafs Mm -hmm. and strapping them all together and producing power with them and doing those types of things. So I've heard of home backups like that. Yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of stuff going on in home backup. And there, there are numerous use cases for second-use batteries right now because uh, a number of those batteries, when they're considered finished, still might, might have about 80% of life left. But when the battery is truly finished, uh, recycling of that battery is, is, still, uh, is still pretty daunting. And, you know, producing it to the... Uh, elemental materials um, present some real challenges. Same is true with uh, solar PV. I think you've heard a lot about wind energy lately with regards to blades not being uh, recyclable. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, I've, I've been an advocate of this for a long time, whereby from an ESG perspective, uh, that's, you know, environmental, societal, and, uh, and governance, but from an ESG perspective, um, a lot of uh, uh, environmentalists, a lot of companies right now are just looking at emissions or what's coming out the back end or carbon. Um, I think we should be looking at a life cycle analysis because right now the bottom line is when that solar panel is done, when that battery is done, societally, we're not really sure what to do with it. Chances are it's probably going to sit in a landfill for a really long time. Or, or get subjected to a chemical bath that breaks down the components, but that chemical bath has to go somewhere when it's spent. There's a there's a lake in Mongolia that is not water. It's uh, uh, I'm not even sure which what mineral they're refining there, but uh, yeah, you can you can look it up like Mongolia Chemical Lake, and it is uh, shocking. So you're what you're watching YouTube on the dark web again? <laughs> <laughs> you know me well. You know me well. But no, so these these these, these are challenges. But uh, you know when you look at like you know a a reciprocating engine at the end of its 30 or 40 years of operations uh, that can be torn down, it can be rebuilt, the metal can be melted and, and repurposed, mm -hmm. it can be almost fully recycled. In fact, uh, if you look at uh, consumer goods, I thought this was an interesting little factoid I, I came across a few weeks ago, but if you look at recycling and you know reuse and sustainability, uh, the most recycled major consumer good is, is the automobile. Hmm. Over 80% of automobiles are actually fully recycled at, at the end of life. 
Yeah, scrapyard, and then all those pieces get picked Tires up. Tires are recycled, all that metal is recaptured, glass is recycled, so, you know, really good story there, and we'll get there. I think societally we're going to get there with EVs, and we're going to get there with batteries, but, you know, as we sit here today, uh, do we know the answers? No, we don't know the answers, but again, there is R&D work being done there, but I think it's something we should be considering in our procurement decisions and in our... Uh, in, in our infrastructure decisions with regards to uh, what that back end, uh, end of life looks like uh, from, from an ESG perspective. And I don't see a lot of that right now. Okay, so, so coming back to my, my imaginary scenario, uh, I've purchased a, a gigawatt of lithium ion batteries. Um, they're spent now, so there would be uh, a second life market uh, that I could sell these batteries to other folks who, um, who could reuse them and install like a, another bank of lithium ion. There, there may be depending on depending on how spent they are, depending on the chemistry, depending on what that module looks like. But yeah, there's a lot of people out there right now looking at, at those second uses, and there's actually some uh, smaller developers who are doing some uh, utility scale uh, second use batteries. And are we looking at like a five year life, or I guess what it would depend on uh, on usage. You know, I think it's too new. I think people have been using second-use batteries for maybe three or four or five years right now. So hmm. we're just starting to get the data out. Uh, the other thing I think is fascinating is, you know, a lot of these projects, these large utility-scale battery projects are, um, you know, they're contracting for 15 or 20 years when the uh, life of the battery is expected to be about 10 years. You know, so I'm not sure what that back end looks like. That's going to be interesting to sort out. Um, and then just to give you a, a comparison, uh, what's happening here in Oregon, uh, you know, Portland General Electric filed a plan with uh, the Oregon Public Utilities Commission in 2017 uh, looking to develop about 40 megawatts of storage. Storage, energy, battery energy storage, storage is not as big of a concern in the Pacific Northwest as it is in California because of all the hydro we have here. Hmm. And most of our renewables here in the Pacific Northwest are firmed with hydro. We're getting over 60% of our energy from hydro. Uh, a lot of our renewables is in the form of wind from the gorge, okay. and uh, the marriage of that wind and hydro makes for a very, very manageable system where uh, California has much, much bigger challenges without having as much hydro, and California being uh, predominantly, from a renewables perspective, predominantly a solar market, when that solar falls off at 4 o'clock in the afternoon and you've got a 15,000 megawatt ramp. Mm -hmm. um, that's where battery energy storage is, is being looked at. And because of that, we're seeing some mega projects in, uh, in California. In fact, uh, PG&E just recently announced, I think within the last week or so, uh, the commercial operation of the Elkhorn project, 730 megawatt hours. And this is down at the, uh, at the Moss Landing facility. Uh, Elkhorn is the name of the little slough that runs in from uh, Moss Landing. Um, hmm. You'll see it filled with kayaks on the weekend. One of the best places in California, folks, to uh, get close to seals and otters and, uh, and marine ma mammals and other uh, wildlife. It's a fantastic place to go if you're ever in a Monterey area. Check out uh, Elkhorn Slough and uh, rent yourself a kayak from Monterey Bay Kayaks and have a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Not, not sponsored, not no, sponsored. But just plug in the good people at Monterey Bay Kayaks. They're fantastic. But having said that, uh, the Elkhorn Project, 730 megawatts, megawatt hours, 256 Tesla megapacks. And uh, again, this is just a massive, massive uh, battery energy storage facility. Um, and all lithium-ion. All, all lithium-ion. All lithium-ion. And a mix of uh, 
of um, of NMC and LFP. Is that the right thing to do, or, or maybe I don't know? Yeah, is that the right thing to do to to have a backup of this scale all on the same technology? Um, arguable. Um, I I think y you know. I think people are looking for the answer, mm -hmm. and we've talked about this. There's not the answer. There are answers. So I think this is part of the solution. I, I, I'll give you a perfect example. Um, you know, recently um, the Public Utilities Commission in California uh, approved a 6.4 gigawatt hour battery storage plan uh, for for and for PG&E. Uh, it's going to cost between two and a half and three and a half billion dollars, or even more than that. And this is in response to the CPUC's procurement order of 11 and a half gigawatts to replace Diablo Canyon. Mm. And we've talked about Diablo Canyon before. Diablo Canyon is the last nuclear facility left in California. There's been a lot of press about it lately. Um, a lot of uh, there, a, a group of 80 scholars got together and wrote a letter to the governor of California saying we really need to keep this resource operating if we're going to decarbonize the grid. It's the largest source of carbon-free energy in California. It provides over 10% of the energy generated uh, in the state of California. California has made the decision to shut it down. The Biden administration recognizing the need for nuclear power in the United States and the uh, state, uh, current state of a lot of the nuclear facilities is offering Oh boy, I'm getting my numbers confused here. Five, six, eight billion dollars. There's, there, there's, there's a big chunk of change out there. Uh, I want to say six billion, but don't quote me on that. It's mm. in that neighborhood of, uh, of money out there to uh, uh, to entice uh, nuclear plants that may be looking to shut down or shut down in the near future to modernize, revamp, repermit to, to keep those uh, to keep those resources operating. In response to that, California has said definitively that they're going to shut down Diablo Canyon. So in the media recently, uh, PG&E got 6.4 gigawatt hours of contracts approved. And, you know, the media was going on and on about how this is, you know, a huge step in the uh, replacement of Diablo Canyon with, you know, clean, carbon-free energy, all, you know, all that kind of stuff that you read in the paper every day. So I actually did the math. And I said, okay, how many... Uh, how much energy does Diablo Canyon provide to California versus what's the capability of the 6.4 gigawatt hours on, on a daily basis? Mm -hmm. All right, so if you look at, you know, the Diablo Canyon plant providing 10% of the energy, okay, uh, and then looking at what the 6.4 gigawatts can provide, when you do the math, the 6.4 gigawatts of battery energy can provide a total of just under 13 minutes of power on a daily basis to the state of California. 13 minutes. You know, if you're looking at you know ter gigawatt hour, terawatt hour usage at this level, but if you're looking at the usage of California versus the size of the battery, the tank, how much energy is in that tank, it's just under, it's 12.96 minutes of power. And, you know, we're, we're going to spend, you know, three and a half billion dollars on that. So are we doing the right thing? Uh, I question it. Mm -hmm. I really do. I have always questioned, um, you, you know, the deployment of, uh, of, of lithium ion at this scale. I mean, this is really, you know, 
this is really pumped hydro scale. You know, this is this is peaking generation scale. Th those types of things. But we are moving forward with that, and uh, it's it's uh, it's created a market. We've learned a lot of things. Uh, we are seeing tremendous advances with energy storage in the uh, again in silver services. Mm -hmm. um, the the battery installations in ERCOT. Uh, made a huge difference last year when ERCOT had their challenges. Okay. Um, had they not had a bunch of batteries installed, um, there would have been much, much bigger issues. Uh, what, what happened there? What's the story? Um, you know, readers can look and read about it, but basically uh, you had a prolonged cold spell uh, in, in a market that where infrastructure wasn't designed to withstand those types of temperatures. So you had a lot of freezing issues, and there's a lot of finger pointing as was it this technology, that technology, the other technology, but you know again it was kind of all of the above. Uh, you know wind turbines were, were were that were in Texas were designed to handle those types of temperatures. Um, there was a lot of challenges in the gas system. Um, a lot of the gas production in Texas, the gas moving around in the pipelines, uh, had been. Uh, Done by gas compression and 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 basically reciprocating engines or turbines moving that gas around. Mm -hmm. um, during the Obama administration, the EPA wanted to clean a lot of those emissions up, so there was enticements to replace a lot of the infrastructure with electric motors. Okay. And what happened, and nobody ever thought of this, but what happened was, uh, in that deep freeze, you essentially created a perpetual non-motion machine because you had a shortage of electricity. You needed more gas to produce more electricity. And the fact of the matter is you couldn't get more gas because you didn't have the electricity to move the gas, mm. where if you could have tapped gas off of those lines through gas-powered uh, compression, you would have been able to move a lot more gas and produce a lot of electricity. That's one of the issues. There was a large, uh, there, there was a couple of plants that failed because of, you know, uh, $20, $30 relays. Well, let me, let me cut in. Stuff like that. So what ERCOT's done, just to finish the thought, ERCOT has done a very, very uh, comprehensive uh, evaluation of, of their system uh, with regards to uh, heat treatments, you know, those types of things, what's necessary for, for, for colder temperatures that were never envisioned and that we're seeing because of climate change. And uh, they, uh, they've, uh, I, I think they've addressed their system accordingly. They're, they're in the process of doing it. Okay. And so th I think this might kind of get to the heart of what we needed, um, of what folks need to know, which is... Uh, what's a guy to do? Uh, let's say you know I own a winery, or perhaps I'm a, I'm a facility manager at some sort of a plant, um, and this is the the world in which I live. Does does lithium ion make sense for me? And and I guess what like in terms of Peterson customers or uh, or our competitors customers, where where does should lithium ion batteries plug into their thinking? Perfect question. Great question. Um, and let's 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 get into that. Let's 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 separate it apart. Let's dissect it a little bit. Yeah. Um, at, the, at the residential level, absolutely. I think it does make sense. Uh, we're not going to put a flow battery at, at a house. <laughs> It'd be a big house. <laughs> or a flywheel or something like that. So the concept of the Tesla Powerwall or a lithium-ion battery at the home uh, tied to a solar system at the home makes perfect sense for a residential microgrid, so to speak. Okay. And But again, uh, the consumer needs to recognize that the durational capability of that battery is limited. 
So when that uh, 20-something-year-old knocks on your door in the afternoon trying to sell you a solar and storage system, um, basically what they fail to tell you is that in the absence of the grid, the battery, it's not going to keep business as usual for four or five days. You might be able to just run your refrigerator or some of your electronics, but you're going to have to significantly reduce your load in the home to uh, to to uh, run your refrigerator for, for a number of days with that battery. But having said that, very, very effective way of, uh, of, of managing residential load and uh, providing yourself with a backup. If at the residential level you're concerned with duration and you want to be able to keep the lights on, so to speak, run your house as normal for a period of more than a couple of days, um, you should look at a backup generator as well. Mm, okay. And uh, that's, I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. In areas where you don't have a lot of solar, in areas where the uh, incumbent electric utility is relatively inexpensive, uh, maybe you're just looking at a backup generator uh, as opposed to battery and solar. But, um, you know, it, it all depends on the specific use case for the residents. In, uh, in areas with good solar, like in California, we're seeing a lot of batteries go into homes. And, uh, you know, but uh, areas more remote that are seeing longer uh, public safety power shutoffs or longer disconnections from the utility, uh, we are seeing, uh, we are seeing uh, backup generators. And I want to do a little safety share here, and, and Greg, correct my, I'm probably going to use the wrong words. Um, but a transfer switch, if you're going to have uh, backup power for your home, uh, make sure you're not feeding electricity back into the grid because you could you could kill a lineman out there trying to correct the, you know, if, if there's a down power line. Right, and though, though that's that's required under uh, under many codes within the building within the building code. But what's what's interesting is is the location of that switch. Hmm. And you know, mostly usually it's at the, it's a, at the residential level. So what a lot of people found out in California when they started doing public safety power shutoffs. Is, oh yeah, my house, I'm 100% solar, I'm solar powered. Okay, well thank you for professing to the world how little you actually know about energy. <laughs> <laughs> but what they found out is when these public utility, when, the, when these public safety power shutoffs hit, um, they cut all of those, you know, all, all, all the switches went, and uh, they've, they're sitting there, it's 12 o'clock noon, they've got a rooftop covered with solar and they have no power in their house because the solar on their roof is not powering the house, it's powering the utility. Mm. You know, and there's a lot of that. So, you know, most of the rooftop solar at the residential level in California is what's called grid connected. It's actually powering the utility and not the home on which it's sitting. And people are figuring that out. So a lot more focus on transfer switches and the location of those transfer switches. But even on a generator, a lot of utilities will require a transfer switch to make sure that you can't backfeed uh, the distribution system or the grid so that if a worker is working on that grid and they shut it off, they know it's off right. uh, from a safety perspective. So great safety share. So I think that kind of wraps up the, the residential sector. On the commercial side, commercial and industrial, I think uh, lithium ion batteries make good sense um, for uh, ride through of critical systems, you know, for four, for four to six hours. Um, they, they, they make great sense, but- uh, So like there's a, or the Peterson database a couple feet away from us. Um, so would you like back that thing up with lithium ion? You could, you could, but typically uh, when you're backing up data, people are looking for a much longer use case. Okay. You know, there's a reason why 
why hospitals require diesel generators as opposed to lithium batteries right now. Lithium batteries have the four to six, uh, four to six hour duration period. The average heart surgery is, is six hours, you know. And that means that the long ones are much longer. Yeah, much longer. So, you know, if I'm going to lay out on the table, I'd much rather be connected to a cat diesel generator than to a lithium ion battery. Let's hope they don't mandate that away. But having, having said, I, I, I don't think so. I think, you know, when you're talking about life critical, you know, pe smart people are, are, are looking at these issues. But there are a lot of use cases where, uh, in a microgrid, you could have a hybrid where, you know, even, even at a hospital, say, it may make sense to have lithium-ion batteries there and a little less diesel so that uh, shorter duration outages uh, can be picked up by lithium-ion batteries uh, mm -hmm. or whatever the technology is at the time, creating a, a carbon-free or less carbon-intensive solution. And then you have those uh, those gensets for uh, for longer duration. In fact, I'm working on a large microgrid right now in California with a customer, where you know it's going to be solar and it's going to be energy storage. And those primary source will be solar. We'll have energy storage there, but there are going to be some generators there, uh, just in case you know of an outage uh, of greater than four to six hours, so that uh, long duration uh, outages can be addressed efficiently. So again. It, it's there's not one answer it's a combination of, of, of all and I think by aggregating multiple technologies uh, behind the meter especially in a microgrid situation uh, that's where you really get the resiliency from you know you're getting yeah. a certain level from a battery or from solar panel but when you when you add that generator now you're getting a three-legged stool on which to uh, set that operation on and have a really good high level of confidence that uh, you're gonna have power uh, no matter what. So, so if we've got a, a listener, they want to know more, but they 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 don't want to pick up the phone and, and talk to anybody just yet. Um, is there a good resource you could point them to? I mean, obviously, th this podcast. I love this podcast. Um, where might someone look to to educate themselves a bit more, or is calling us uh, really the best option? Oh, we're we're just one source, but uh, there are numbers. I mean, if you just Google, you know, lithium-ion batteries or battery storage, or um, or you know, uh, California's got a great resource, the California Energy Storage Association (CISO). They've got a great website with a lot of information on it. I'll put that in the uh, the comments. Yeah, we can we can uh, give our listeners some uh, some links to, if they're interested in digging deeper on it. But do some research because uh, you know a lot of people out there are self-serving and trying to sell you know the customer what it is they have, mm -hmm. and uh, that may or may not be the best uh, the best solution for the specific uh, specific use case depending on on what that use case may be. But uh, you know, interesting times. We're going to see uh, a lot more battery solutions. I was. On the phone uh, before uh, before this uh, podcast with a customer about uh, some batteries that we're looking to supply them. Um, you know they do they do have their usage. Um, they are exciting. We're going to see more and more use cases, but they are not the uh, the total you know the total answer. In fact, I think there's uh, there's a lot of uh, misinformation and some some misguided people out there with regards to batteries. A lot of people um, I talk to in regulatory circles and at utilities and stuff. Um, are looking at batteries as capacity, a, as a source of energy. Well, that how, how does that make sense? Because they don't generate. Exactly, batteries don't. They 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 store and redistribute energy. And if you look at it, 
And we talked about this yesterday. We talked about efficiencies. Mm-hmm. You know, and lithium-ion batteries have a very, very uh, high round-trip efficiency. Okay. And when we talk about efficiencies, we talk, round trip efficiency. That's in and out, right? Okay. Because you, so I put a hundred megawatts. You're going to lose, lose something when you charge. Yeah. Right. You're not going to get. I put a hundred units of energy to a battery. I'm not going to get all hundred units stored. It's going to be something less. Yeah. <clears throat> and then when I have, let's say, I have 99 units in the battery. When I discharge that, I'm not going to be able to use all 99 units. I'm going to lose something. Right, but that round trip efficiency of, of lithium-ion batteries is, is is impressive. It's pretty high. I've seen efficiencies as high as like ninety percent, wow. which, which is good compared to some of the numbers we've talked about yesterday. And uh, others would, you know, know much more about actual efficiencies than myself. It's not an area I have a lot of uh, expertise. I, I, I want the point. The point. The point is this: net net, when you look at the battery, I don't view it as capacity. I view it as load. Because on a net-net basis, that battery is using energy. You're losing energy moving it through that battery. So it's it's loaded. It's, there's, there's no magic. It's not this magic box that you place there and it just produces energy. It has to get the energy from somewhere else. And the carbon footprint of that battery is essentially the carbon intensity of the grid. And, and don't uh, lithium ions just discharge over time? Uh, like if, if I charge one up to 100 and I just let it sit, isn't that charge level going to slowly go down over time? Yeah, it, it, it will slowly degrade over time. It, 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 um, most batteries do that. It will slowly degrade over time. But uh, what that degradation looks like and how fast it looks like, um, I'm not certain. Because the fact of the matter is with the, uh, with the grid situation in front of the meter at the wholesale level with these large utility projects, these battery installations are going through almost daily uh, charge and discharge. Mm. So that's not as much of a concern. More of a concern is not the loss of charge while it's sitting idly, but the degradation of the battery um, as it goes through cycling. Which, uh, if the battery is managed properly with regards to its state of charge, we don't go, to, it doesn't go to 100% to zero. Okay. There's boundaries. Like I think a lot of Tesla batteries, they'll go to 95%, maybe 5% on the bottom or 10%. Um, the tighter you squeeze that window, so if I went like 20 to 80%, mm-hmm. um, I'll get more life out of that battery So uh, from, from a cycling perspective. So there's a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, algorithms and magic uh, with regards to managing state of charge that I don't have a lot of expertise and I have done a lot of research in that area, but they don't go from zero to 100 but having said that, um, you know, every time you go through those cycles, they are losing a little bit. But the good news is that uh, from the data out there, what we're seeing on batteries being used, the, uh, the, the life cycle of these batteries may, in fact, be a little longer than originally thought, which, which would be a good thing. That would be a very good thing. It would be a great thing. So um, I do have, uh, I think, maybe one final question for you sure. to entertain it. Um, so you mentioned there, there's bad information out there. Um, what... What might be a flag or an indicator um, that I ought to question what I'm hearing? Uh, so, you, so you mentioned a specific example of uh, looking, if, if somebody's talking about batteries um, as, a, as a generator, uh, that's, a, that's a flag to, to scrutinize the message a little bit. What, what, what other things should we keep an eye out for? Well, you know, I, I think there's, there's a, a huge push right now for, for sales at the residential and, 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 and uh, and commercial industrial sectors, 
Mm -hmm. And um, a lot of these people uh, selling these things or pushing these things um, are, are inexperienced. They're reading from a script. Mm -hmm. They really don't know what they're talking about. And as a consumer, I think, you know, the best guidance is uh, whether you're consuming for your business or your home or whatever. If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. <laughs> okay. You know, and uh, get smart on the issues. Talk to people. You know, uh, I, uh, I live in California. I live in the Bay Area of California. And with most people working from home, it is amazing how many young people knock on my door a week trying to sell me a solar system for my house. And I'll ask them just the most basic of questions about payback. You know, well, you don't have to worry about payback. <laughs> you know, because if you lease the system through a PPA, you know, which obviously, you know, is, is one of the worst financial models to go through, but that's what they're out there selling, you know. Good salespeople will sell what they got. So I'm yep. not taking away from the salesperson. They're selling what they got. You know, God bless them. But uh, at the same time, when you start digging in with some questions, like in California, there's a huge... Um, debate going on right now about net energy, net energy metering and what's called NEM3 because there's arguments to change the rates for net energy metering, metering in solar. That's a whole other discussion you can have. But um, I asked a representative just last week, well, if, NM3, if NEM3 passes in its current form, what's that going to do to my payback? And his response was, what's NEM3? Yeah. You, you know, so... Uh, you, Ask intelligent questions, get yourself smart, but I think what we're going to see is as electricity prices continue to increase because of uh, decarbonization goals, I mean, you look at the monies that are looking to be spent in front of a meter for, for electricity pricing, um, as these prices increase, the uh, economics of doing something yourself at the residential level and certainly at the commercial industrial level are going to become more and more favorable. I have to agree wholeheartedly. Um, uh, and, and if you're listening and you have a specific question, as always, you can email us, uh, podcast at petersonpower.com. Uh, you can put a, a comment under this video, or if you're watching on petersonpower.com, uh, there's a form that sends an email to Greg and I. This, this whole episode uh, is because we got an email, someone wanting to do a deep dive on, on lithium ion. Uh, Greg, any, any words for our, our listeners? Um, again, I just want to thank everybody for their participation. I uh, want to thank you for your feedback and your anticipated feedback. Um, Nate and I are having a conversation and we're enjoying it, but we want to invite you to participate and we want you to enjoy it as well. So if you've got ideas, you've got questions, uh, get them to us. And uh, we are trying to uh, pr put factual information out there. We're trying to put non-biased information out there. We're not necessarily trying to make uh, Peterson Caterpillar commercials or commercials for a specific technology. We do have some fun uh, plugging friends along the way or <laughs> plugging businesses along the way. And for that, we either uh, <coughs> accept your appreciation or accept our apology. But, uh, you know, at the same time, uh, we are trying to put good information out there. And uh, we, uh, we appreciate uh, everybody's participation and 